Hello, my friend. Welcome to another episode of Deciding to Win. Thank you for spending time with us. I'm your host, Reginald Nsoma. I'm an aerospace engineer with a passion for youth leadership and mentorship and the founder of Future Ready Africa. In each episode, we bring you an inspiring personal message to inspire you, motivate you to win in life. Let's get started. Got to develop your internal attribute before you could have a positive effect on others. This is a profound quote from our guest today. Major General John Gronsky, retired, joins us today on this episode. After 14 years leading and serving in the United States Army and National Guard in several key appointments, John has dedicated the rest of his life to develop and nurture leaders. He's a consultant and CEO of Leadership Group. John has led units at company, battalion, brigade, and division levels. Chief amongst them was serving as Deputy Commanding General, U.S. Army Europe, in charge of 30,000 soldiers, and Brigade Commander of the 2nd Brigade in Iraq, where he led 5,000 soldiers and marines into combat in Ramadi. He's a U.S. Army War College, Commander Staff College, Ranger, and Airborne School graduate. His honors include Army Distinguished Service Medal, Bronze Star, Defense Meritorious Service Medal, Iraq Campaign Medal, Ranger Tab, amongst many others. Aside from being a leader in the military, he has also excelled in the civil world. He has led implementation teams in Fortune 500 companies, in healthcare, telecommunications, and utility industries. He's also the author of two books, Iron Sharpen Leadership and the Right of Our Lives, Lessons on Life, Leadership, and Love, where he shares an inspiring story of a bicycle trip across the United States with his wife and 15-month-old baby. John shares the principles of leadership with us, how to develop into an all-round leader. Let's stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Deciding to Win. And today, I have the honor here. I have Major General Retired John Gronsky from the U.S. Army. And, you know, he's had a dedicated, honest... So, sir, welcome to the show. Uh, Reginald, it's really great to be with you. Uh, I appreciate the invitation. Uh, I like what you do, uh, trying to inspire young people to to be their best. And uh, thank you for everything you do uh, to get get good messages out to uh, people who want to become better leaders. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much. It's not every time that you have the opportunity to talk to a major general. Like, <laughs> this is really an honor for me. Yes. And then, yeah, John, so before we get started, so I know you have, you know, your resume is, is, is long. So just briefly tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll start with what I'm doing right now. Uh, right now, I'm the chief executive officer of a leadership consulting and training company that I, I started a couple of years ago. The name of the company is Leader Grove. And uh, with that, uh, I speak. I speak professionally. Uh, I write books. I conduct leadership training. And what led me to this role in my life right now is really uh, the 40 years that I spent in the United States Army, both on active duty and in the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. Served overseas multiple times. And uh, probably uh, one of the defining periods of my military career was leading a brigade of 5,000 soldiers and Marines in Ramadi, Iraq, and two 2005 and 2006 it was a very, very violent and chaotic uh, period of, of, of time there, a very uh, lethal environment. And uh, so I, I certainly had the honor of leading those soldiers and Marines. I gained a lot of leadership experience over my 40 years. And then I had another interesting uh, defining period in my life back in 1903 uh, from uh, an army officer, and that was uh, bicycling across the United States from the West Coast to the East Coast, over 4,000 miles uh, with my wife and our 15-month-old baby. 
And uh, so that was uh, just just a unique experience and a, and a very different experience. And it just shows that, uh, you know, most of us lead in some way. Either we lead a business, we lead an organization, we lead a military unit, or we lead our family. So uh, no, no matter what role you, you are in as a leader, uh, I, I think it's important that all of us try to become stronger and, and better leaders as we go throughout life. Well, that's great. 40 years in the military. Wow, that's almost all your majority of your life. So at what age did you enter into the United States Army? Yeah, my first experience with the United States Army, I was 20 years old, 1976. Went to Fort Knox, Kentucky for uh, what we call the uh, basic camp and uh, had uh, many uh, uh, non-commissioned officers who were Vietnam War veterans that I uh, you know, learned from. Uh, I, I learned right at an early age from those non-commissioned officers how to lead, uh, what the Army values were all about. And so that was a very formative time in my life. And then I actually entered active duty in 1978 as a second lieutenant. Uh, served four years on active duty, and then uh, left active duty, joined the the Pennsylvania National Guard. And uh, again, between my active years, which until about 12 years, and then my National Guard time, uh, a total of 40 years in. And we can talk about some of the places I've been. Uh, Like I said, I've served overseas multiple times from places like uh, the country of Lithuania in the year 2000 to Iraq to the last three years of my career, which I spent as a deputy commanding general at U.S. Army Europe and, and Wiesbaden, Germany. But with that role, had the opportunity to visit over 40 countries in Europe uh, multiple times. And it was just a, a tremendous experience. Wow, that's that's great. So that means you are a seasoned leader and, and commander. So in your experience, what is the true definition for leadership? Yeah, first of all, I'd like to say that, yes, I'm a seasoned leader. I've been I've been leading many years, but at the same at the same token, I still strive to become an even better leader. Even though I've been leading over 40 years, I, I still want to become better. I still want to become stronger. And I really think uh, what, a, what a leader does is he takes a group of individuals and molds them into a team uh, in order to... Uh, create effectiveness and efficiency and success in whatever organization that particular leader is serving in. So it's really all about creating that team environment, being character-based, and and being a servant leader. Uh, and, And I think when you do these things, you not only have success in the short term, but more importantly, you have success in the long term. And, and I think that's the nef- definition of a true leader. Well, and John, I think my next question has to do with whether leaders are born or made. I mean, this is a, a question that is always appears everywhere. There's a discussion about leadership. Which side do you fall on? Yeah, I, I fall on the side that leaders are developed. I think anyone uh, has the capacity to become a better leader tomorrow than they are today. Uh, now, I like to use the metaphor of an athlete, athleticism. You know, it could be a soccer player. Uh, you know, it could be, you know, as you, a uh, football player, a uh, basketball player, whatever. Uh, any, everybody is born with a certain degree of athleticism. However, everybody could be developed into be a, a better athlete. You know, you may not be, you know, a professional but you could still get better. And I think the same is true with leadership. Leadership could be developed in in everybody. And you may not turn out to be a Colin Powell, but you could still be 
a good leader. And so, yeah, I, I fall on the side that that leaders are developed and not necessarily born with all the traits that they're going to have. Every, everybody gains experience, everybody gains training uh, and, and, and could develop into be a, a better leader. Normally for the military, a lot of times you, you receive that training, you know, to be a leader and all that. But how does your personal leadership, how important is, is that aspect in developing, you know, your leadership potential or, or leader? And, and can that be taken out from you being, let's say, a great leader out there, commanding men, soldiers, and then you yourself? What is the link between that personal leadership and, and team leadership or yeah, well, l- let me put it this way. I-, I do think leaders have to be authentic, which means uh, you have to be yourself. So, you know, I could I could a- admire a leader uh, like like a Colin Powell or a Norman Schwarzkopf or a-, a Jack Welch from from the civilian sector or a Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines. You know, I, I could admire a certain leader, either from business or the military or from a nonprofit, whatever. But that doesn't mean just because I admire their attributes that I have to pretend I'm that person. I think it's important that every leader just acts like themselves, acts authentically, doesn't try to be somebody that they're not. Because I think if you try to be somebody that you're not, if you try to uh, establish yourself with a personality that isn't really a, a true personality, your followers are going to see right through that. And I think most followers respect leaders who simply try to be themselves. Uh, so in other words, you know, I could be a servant leader, I could be a character-based leader, but I'm going to do it in a different way than another great leader would do it. So I, I, I think that's really, Reginald, the, the key is you have to be authentic, you have to be yourself. You don't, You shouldn't try to be somebody who you're not. Now, to a lot of my listeners who are, you know, really young and upcoming in their career and, and in their professional life and some of them students and what have you, what are some of the critical values in leadership that they need to start cultivating? And especially when you, maybe you find out that you don't have that in your life or your environment or your background, you didn't, you didn't get it from me, let's say your parents, but you're in the world right now, you need to succeed. I, I would say the key attribute, the key trait that everyone needs to develop to be a good leader is integrity. Uh, you you have to follow through on your promises. Uh, you can't promise something that you're not going to be able to deliver. If you make a commitment to somebody, you've got to follow through on that commitment that that you make. And you have to be transparent. You have to be uh, truthful to those who follow you. You can't, you can't beat around the bush. You can't try to, you know, make something up. You just got to be truthful with people. Even when things are going bad, you have to be pragmatic and, and just be truthful with people. Uh, so I'd say integrity is really the the number one uh, attribute that that a leader has to have. And then I would say the second thing is a, a good leader has to put the welfare of their followers ahead of their own welfare. So you've got to put your followers first. And, uh, you know, some people think that when you reach a certain level of leadership, you have other people, your followers who are serving you. And that couldn't be farthest from the truth. If you're going to be a good leader, the higher up you move up the leadership ranks, the more you have to serve other people. If you could remember those two things, have integrity, place the welfare of your followers ahead of your own welfare, you will be a good leader. In your career, when did some of these two important values that you hold dear, were they in a situation where you had to rely on these two values of um, integrity and of welfare that you feel made a difference? Yeah, I would really, they, they 
are, are most evident when you're going through a tough time. You know, when you're when you're leading an organization through a very challenging period, uh, that's where uh, those two attributes really mean the most. And that's where your followers will pay the most attention. Uh, you know, when things are going smooth and everything is great, you know, people kind of go about their job and, and they don't pay attributes, but they really, really make a big difference when you're going through a struggle, when you're going through a challenge, when you're leading your organization through some type of adversity. For for example, you know, the challenge I had when I commanded that brigade in Iraq, you know, it was a very violent time. I had uh, many of, of my soldiers and Marines were killed in action there or wounded severely. And so it was a, a tough time that that we had to to work through, and and that and that's where displaying that integrity, showing those that that you lead, that you care more about them than you do about your own personal welfare, is is key. And the way you do that is uh, you're honest with people. If there's a struggle, you just be upfront and let people know, hey, this is a struggle, and and this is what we're doing to try to solve that that challenge. You don't try to sugarcoat it. Now, with that said, I still believe optimism. Uh, believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today is a very important attribute for a leader to show too. You know, I, I, I believe followers want a, a leader who believes that they're going to be able to lead the organization into a, a better future. So that optimism is is key. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's those tough times when, when a leader, you know, I've, I've said this before. I said, you know, it, it's during tough times when, when leaders really uh, have to show that that they're able to make a difference. And and uh, that, that that's what followers are expecting. Anybody could be a leader in good times. It's, it's, it's important to be a good leader when times are tough. Okay, John, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you raised the issue about tough times. We've had a tough year last year, even coming into this year. For our young people in life, maybe it could be COVID, maybe something unexpected, maybe it could be unemployment. How do you lead yourself through some of those unexpected things, especially things that are really not your fault, and even things that probably you brought out on yourself, but you really want to win? How do you cultivate that mindset through tough times that can get you over, you know, the other side? Yeah, that that, that is a great point. And, uh, you know, one of my elements of my leadership philosophy is resilience. And and when I talk about resilience, and, and when I talk about resilience, I like to say resilience just doesn't happen on its own. You've got to train yourself. You've got to work in order to become a more resilient person. And there's a, a few different elements of resilience. One of those elements is positive energy. It's that optimism I thought uh, I talked about. You know, believing that tomorrow is going to be better than than today, and and exuding that energy in an organization. You know, sometimes I mention certain people are energy sponges, which means they sap energy away from other people. You don't want to be an energy sponge. You want to be somebody who who generates energy. And then I like to talk about fitness. And yes, I'm talking about physical fitness. You got to keep yourself physically fit. You have to be healthy. You have to be strong physically. But then there's other elements of fitness. There's mental fitness. There's emotional fitness. There's spiritual fitness. And you've got to work at these things, you know, during the time when when things are going well, you know, during what I call steady state times, you've got to work on developing your mental fitness. How do you do that? Perhaps you work on your mental fitness by challenging your mind to concentrate on things that you don't normally have to do in your day-to-day job. You know, so broaden your mind, challenge your mind. And then with emotional fitness, that's working to help 
yourself develop to understand your own self-awareness, being aware of your emotions. And once you're aware of your emotions, then working to control those emotions. And if you could have if you could develop good self-awareness to understand how you're feeling, and if you could control those emotions, then then you have a better opportunity to be empathetic to other people, to, to be able to understand how other people are feeling. And if you can't understand how you're feeling, I think it's impossible to understand how other people are feeling. And then with that, then you could create relationships. And that's what I like to call relationship management. And then the third element of resilience and, and creating uh, yourself to, or, or developing yourself to be a more resilient resilient person is allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Now, what does that mean, allowing yourself to be vulnerable? That means pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, trying something new, you know, trying something that you have a, a, a high probability at failing at, you know, just don't do things that you know you're going to succeed at all the time. Push yourself a little bit because I think we truly learn when we make a mistake and when we fail at something. That's when we truly learn. And then that's how we get strengthened. That's how that's how we get better. And then as a leader, uh, in terms of vulnerability, also asking your followers what their opinion is. You know, uh, just because you're the leader doesn't mean that you have all the answers. So, you know, respect your followers by asking them what their opinion is. And then the third element of vulnerability is sharing stories about yourself. And what type of story should you sell tell about yourself. I think you should share stories with your followers about the times that you've made a mistake and how you bounced forward from that mistake or the times that you failed as a leader and how you were able to overcome that failure. If, if you could do those things, uh, exude positive energy, work on your fitness in, in those multiple ways I talked about and allow yourself to be vulnerable. I think you're going to develop your own resiliency. So when tough times come, like the pandemic, for example, when tough times come, you're better able to overcome those challenges because you've developed yourself to be a resilient person. And as a leader, you also have to help your followers develop their resiliency too. So it's not just about developing resiliency in yourself. It's about helping your followers become more resilient by mentoring them on those things I talked about. Let's go back a little bit to Iraq. You know, I'm a bit interested in what happened now. You were losing a lot of soldiers. Things were not going as planned. I mean, it's a battlefield where things happen, you know, rapidly. Things change. How do you keep yourself psychologically motivated? And how did you motivate the people that were in your brigade, you know, the, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, how did you keep all these people together when things looked tough and there was a lot of, you know, maybe fears coming in and, and things were not going as, as planned? Yeah, that, that that's a great question, Reginald. Reginald. The way you have to do that is by understanding what your purpose is. You have to understand why am I there? Why am I conducting these operations? And then you have to communicate that purpose to those who work for you. And everybody has to have a, a, a shared understanding of what that purpose is. And if, if you could communicate that purpose clearly and very clear, very then people will be able to carry on even in tough times if they believe what the purpose is. So uh, the purpose that I communicated to our soldiers and Marines over in Iraq is I said, hey, the reason we're here putting our lives at risk, the reason we're here having our buddies lose their lives is because 
by us being here in Iraq, uh, battling the insurgency here, we are keeping our families and all Americans safer back at home. So that was, that was I thought, a, a, a very clear purpose, a very simple purpose, a purpose that resonated with, with everybody and, and, and people were able to get behind that purpose. And, and so I think the key to keeping the team together in challenging times is to understand what the purpose is and being able to clearly communicate that purpose to your followers. Now, John, let's talk about decision-making as a, as a person, decision-making as a leader. What are some of the principles you apply in making very good decisions, especially critical decisions, maybe a financial decision, a big fa- decision about your family, a decision about your business, you know, a political leader, these, especially these policies, because what, what I've observed from last year coming is a lot of decisions certain leaders have made with certain information and with certain happenings has really brought the, the dividing line between who a good leader is, who a bad leader is, who a good leader is, but who made bad decisions. And is that the decision-making is what really caused the downfall or whatever of, of, of any person. How do you get to decision-making great? Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, as a leader, you're expected to make decisions. You know, there are some leaders who just have a hard time, don't, don't have the personal courage to make a decision. And those are the type of leaders who a lot of times cause many of the problems. Uh, the other thing with, with decision-making is you've got to have the wisdom to know, is this a decision I have to make within the next 10 seconds? Or is this a decision where I could allow the situation to develop a little bit before I make the decision? So you have to have that. And again, that comes with experience, uh, but you've got to be able to have that wisdom to know, hey, do I need to make the decision right now? Or could I let the situation develop? That's a key. You know, many mid-level leaders struggle with having the courage to make a decision and and uh, and they've got to be able to overcome that. Now, there's a classic decision-making process that we learn in the military. As a matter of fact, it's also taught in, in business school. And, and that and that's basically, you know, when you when you have to make a decision, you do an, an analysis of of the the operation or the mission or whatever you have to conduct. And you know, when I say do a analysis of the mission, that's determining, hey, what are the specified tasks? What are some of the implied tasks? What are some of the risks? What are some of the resources that you have available? You know, all of, all of those things. And then you've got to come up with several different options. We call it in the military courses of action. You know, in the civilian sector, you probably want to call it options uh, that you develop. And then you compare those options and, and then, well, a- actually you analyze each option and then, and then you compare those options and you ultimately make a decision. Now, Colin Powell talked uh, about decision-making quite a bit, and he said, leaders are never going to have perfect information when they make a decision. So as a leader, you have to be prepared to make a decision with having less than perfect information. And he talked about something called the 40-70 rule. And what he said is when a leader is making a decision, they have to try to get at least 40% of the information available. If you are if you have less than 40% of the information and you make a decision, you're probably doing nothing but shooting from the hip. And then he said, uh, but don't, don't seek to get any more than 70% of the information. He said, once you have 70% of the information, you should be able to make a decision because if you wait until you get 80% or 90% of the information, you're probably going to lose an opportunity. So that's why he called it the 40 70 rule. And I like to use that rule. And somebody asked me, well, how do you know when you have 70% of the information? And I think the way I explained it was, 
you know, as we're going through a decision-making process, we don't have all the facts, so we make some assumptions. And once we make an assumption, we got to work in order to turn that assumption into a fact. So let's say we have 10 assumptions. Once you're able to turn, you know, six or seven of those assumptions into a fact, then you probably have enough information to make the decision. Wow, that's that's great. I mean, 40-70 rule. Leadership in terms of after making a decision, like maybe yourself, you're a two-star general, you know, and you made a decision, you realized it was a bad decision and maybe it had consequences. How do you, at that level of leadership... How do you communicate that to your team? How do you do you do you go front and apologize? How do you deal with that? And sometimes it comes also pressure on your mind and on your heart that maybe this you made a wrong call. Some assumptions you made were wrong. How do you own those things and how do you deal with that? Yeah, and and uh, again in, in combat I made some bad decisions. You know, in in other leadership roles I had, I made some bad decisions. I found that the best way to deal with that is is by uh, being transparent. You know, admitting that you made a mistake, letting people know that, hey, you know, I made this decision. It didn't turn out the way I expected it to turn. Responsibility as the leader. I'm not trying to blame other people for this decision I made. And and I take responsibility. And then we do what we call in the Army an, an after action review, where we do an assessment of, hey, what are some of the things that went right that we want to do again in the future? And what are some of the things that didn't go so well that we want to improve next time we do something like this? And what lessons did we learn? And then once you identify those lessons learned, then you do your best to apply those lessons when you do something like that operation again in the future. But uh, the key is to quickly take responsibility. Uh, Don't let people waste time pointing fingers at one another. Take the responsibility on your own shoulders as the leader. And then again, as I mentioned, what went well that we want to do again, what didn't go so well, what lessons did we learn? and And now you move forward in a positive way. That's the best you could do. And people, when you do that, your followers generally respect you for that because nobody expects a leader to be perfect. We're all human. Everybody's going to make a mistake now and then. The best we could do is is take responsibility for any mistake that we make. Still around the subject, talking about communication, you know, when things happen, everybody's waiting out for the leader to speak. Even sometimes as a human being, personally, you know, it's like your whole body, your mind is waiting for you to step up and 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 and, and give some words of command or some words of encouragement. In that state, what are some of the ways to get your information, to motivate people to, you know, you know, in communicating effectively that, you know, will cause people to move into action, you know, depending on the situation. What are some of the keys in communication? Yeah, I think one of the keys is, to get out there in front of a situation and and tell people what's going on. Because if if you don't communicate well to your followers, especially when something isn't going right, your followers are going to start making up things in their own mind. And and usually the things they make up are going to be a lot worse than what's really going on. So it's important to get out front and and communicate quickly and communicate, you know, clearly and and, and honest with what is happening. And, And then you have to explain to people, you know, what you plan to do in order to make things better. And and that's how you motivate people. That's how you inspire people. And again, talking about the purpose of what you're doing as you communicate is generally a way to inspire people. If, if you tell people what you're doing or what they need to do, but you don't explain to them why they need to do it, it's hard to inspire people that way. It's the purpose and it's explaining why that really leads to um, the ability to inspire other people. People are inspired by why they do something, 
more so than by what they're doing. It's all about in terms of um, incentivizing, motivation, awards, and punishment. How important are those things, you know, in, in terms of team bonding, in terms of leadership? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the type of organization that you lead. You know, I think I think if you're leading a sales organization, you know, in, in the business sector, you know, a bunch of people who sell stuff, usually incentives, you know, some type of incentive works well with that. If you're leading, I believe if you're leading a military unit, uh, it's better to inspire people by, again, uh, understanding what the purpose of what you're doing is. So at, at the same token, uh, you know, you do have to have a system in place where you hold people accountable. And, uh, you know, I believe uh, as you hold people accountable, you don't do you don't do mass punishment. You know, if one person from a unit does something wrong, you, I don't believe in punishing everybody. I believe in, in taking that one individual and uh, investigating exactly what happened. And then if they have to be punished for what they did in terms of, hey, do you want to use carrots and sticks or do you want to use some other type of incentive such as, uh, you know, an inspiring purpose to to motivate the group to to carry through what they have to accomplish. Did some of your values like or definitions for things like courage, humility, did those things change when you got to the battlefield or some of these um values you know that you had or you thought you, you know you had or you know you've been trained for when things the situation got dire you know over there in Iraq or in any tough situation did those things change and how were you able to to still maintain them yeah my my own view is it's important for people to take the time to go on an introspective journey to determine exactly what their own personal core values are. Uh, you know, you can have organizational values. Like in the United States Army, the values of the United States Army are loyalty, duty, respect, uh, service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. That's great. But I find that I have to also determine what my own personal core values are as well. So I recommend to everybody out there that if you haven't taken the time to think long and hard about what are your personal core values, everybody should do that. <clears throat> now, why should you do that? The people should be part of because your own personal values have to align with the values of the organization that you choose to work for or that you choose to join. And if there's not an alignment between your personal values and the organizational values, you should probably find a different organization to be part of. The other thing, the other thing that's important with values is when you have your own personal core values identified, now when you're making a decision, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about decision making, you've got to factor your own personal core values into the decisions that you're making. So if the decision you make is not aligning with what you personally believe, you're probably making the wrong decision. And and the same happened, you know, over in a combat situation, you know, when you're in a combat situation or any other type of situation where the situation is dire or you're going through a challenge or, you know, there's a lot of adversity, that's the time when values are really important. And if you fall back on your own personal core values and behave in a way that's in alignment with your core values, you're probably going to be making the right decisions and you're probably going to be taking the right actions. Uh, it, it's, it's people who deviate from their values when times are tough, who usually behave wrongly, 
or don't do the right thing. John, what about focus? You know, we live in a world for, for a lot of young people now, you know, there's a lot of distractions, you know, in our world today. How do you keep yourself focused on your goal and on your your purpose or the things that you want to achieve in spite of all these um, things that are trying to get your attention these days? So what are some of the keys? Yeah, I, th- I think one of the keys is, first of all, you know, you should probably focus on maybe not more than three goals at a time, three important goals at a time. I think another thing that that's important to do is you have to write those goals down on a piece of paper. You have to commit them to paper. The next thing is you've got to be able to visualize your goals. You have to ha- be able to see in your mind yourself achieving those goals. You got to be able to visualize it. You got to see a, a picture of you achieving that goal. And then you have to understand why you're doing it. I know I talked about purpose a lot already. I talked about why a lot, but I think that's extremely important. So if you could write your goals down, uh, visualize your goals, understand why those goals are important to you, you're going to be more prone to having the motivation, having the energy, having the inspiration to achieve those goals, even when times get tough. That's great. How do we we set goals and, and achieve them? How do you even set proper goals, proper targets? Yeah, that, that that's a great question. And uh, I like to use the acronym SMART, S-M-A-R-T, SMART goals. And, you know, a goal has to be specific. It can't be some uh, some general broad thing. You have to get it as specific as you could. There does have to be a way to measure it. You know, so it has to be measurable to to some extent. It, it has to be attainable. So it has to be something that with, is within your reach to achieve. You have to be able to achieve it. In other words, you know, if I if I set a goal for myself, you know, I'm in my mid sixties now. If I set my goal for myself that I run, I want to run a mile under four minutes. You know, at my age, and you know, I'm in good shape, but at, at my age and the wear and tear on my body, I'm not going to achieve that. So again, it has to be attainable. And then it has to be relevant. You know, it has to be something you want to achieve. It can't be something somebody else wants you to achieve. You've got to want to do it. And then you've got to set a time to it. Uh, you know, so if you if you develop a goal, you have to be specific about by by this day and this month and this year at this time. I'm going to achieve that goal. So again, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time sensitive is the best way to to develop a goal. Now, what opportunities do you see now in this present generation for young people that you feel that didn't exist when you are in your your generation and that young people should pay attention to and they should quickly, you know, gravitate towards that will help them? I think the, uh, obviously, technology comes to mind. You know, there are so many uh, different technologies that exist today that didn't exist even when I was in my 20s. In the early 1980s, we didn't have the internet, you know, didn't have a personal computer, didn't have the smartphones, didn't have any of that stuff, even when I was, was in my 20s. So there's a lot of uh, technology that exists. And then I think it's really trying to determine, you know, use your imagination, use your creativity to look into the future. Maybe one of the future problems is be clean drinking water. So, you know, how do you solve something like that? You know, obviously global warming is, is, is an issue. So, you know, being able to see into the future a bit of, of what are some of the problems that are going to be existing uh, that that I uh, should really strive to be a part of being a solution for. Uh, those are the things I think young people have to look at. And you do that by, by reading a lot. 
you know, by listening to programs like the one you put out on your podcast, uh, by, uh, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and meeting people who you wouldn't normally associate with. Try to talk to people who are smarter than you are. I, I always like to say, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you should find a different room. You know, always associate with people who are a little bit stronger than you, a little bit smarter than you. And, and, and those are ways that would help you as a young person look into the future a little bit to understand what some of the future problems might be. And then if you know those those are the things you should focus on in order to to be a productive member of, of the society that you grow up in. And John, let's talk about mentorship. Did you have any mentors that helped you in your career? And what role do you you think that mentoring can can play in the life and development of young people? Yeah, it's an interesting thing with mentorship. You know, there's some people that complain that they don't have a mentor. And and I like to say Mentors are everywhere. You just got to look for them. Uh, you know, very, I mean, that doesn't happen too often. You've got to look uh, for people who you respect and and just really observe them. Uh, learn by what they're doing. Learn by what they're not doing. And strive to find people that you respect, that you could try to emulate, you know, your your, your values and your attributes. And again, not saying you to try to be somebody that you're not. You want to be authentic, but, but you still want to have role models. So, I think you have to look for mentors because generally mentors aren't going to just come flocking to you and say, hey, I want to be your mentor. That that usually doesn't happen. Then the other thing you could do is, is find other people that perhaps you could give advice that everybody has made. Everybody has some type of life experience. Everybody has made some mistakes. Everybody has learned from things that they've done or failed to do. So look for people in your life that you could actually be a mentor to. And I found that when I mentor other people or I try to give other people advice, many times I learn from that myself. And so uh, I think mentorship is 360 degrees. You don't only learn from people who are a higher rank than you or who are older than you. I think you could learn from people who are a lower rank than you are and, and who maybe have some less life experience but they might have more experience in a particular area that you don't. So I really think in terms of mentorship, don't wait for a mentor to come to you. You have to go and look for those who you think you can learn from. Yeah. And John, did you have any mentors in your, in your lifetime, in your career? Oh yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, when I was a, uh, uh, a battalion commander and a brigade commander, uh, general Podlowski was the 28th infantry division commander. He was a, he was a mentor of mine. Another uh, General Officer General Craig, he was a mentor of mine. Uh, I've had people in the civilian sector, you know, uh, a, a person who uh, ran a consulting firm that I worked for, Selman Evans, he was a mentor of mine. So yeah, I've 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 been very fortunate. You know, I've I've had people who work for me who were mentors of mine. One who uh, comes to mind is uh, one of my sergeant majors. You know, the the senior enlisted advisor when I was the division, Chris Kepner. He was a mentor of mine. So I've been very fortunate to have good people around me in my life who have really helped me to be developed to be a stronger leader. So I've been very blessed to have many mentors. Yeah. What are your top three or four books that has always been a blessing to you? I like a, a book. The name of it is The Leadership Engine. It's it's an older book. It's by a, an author. His name is Noel Titchy. And, and that book really talks about how leaders need to share stories with other people uh, to teach what, what he calls a teachable point of view to the people who 
who follow you. So that was a, a, a book that really helped me develop as a leader. Uh, Hal Moore, who was a, a retired uh, Army uh, three-star general, uh, he wrote a book called We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Uh, that was an excellent leadership book. And and I mean, I'm reading a book by Simon Sinek right now, you know, Start With Why. That, that, that That's a great book. Jocko Willink, uh, you know, a former Navy SEAL, ha- has written uh, many leadership books. So yeah, I, I read a lot. Uh, that's another thing I think everybody should uh, always have at least one book that they're reading at any one time. Sometimes I'm reading two or three books at a time. Uh, but uh, I, I think, uh, you know, those books that I mentioned are, are were very valuable for me to read. And I hope other people find them valuable as well. Okay, John, and in closing, your journey of, you know, your bike ride, you also wrote a book about it in in. In leadership, what was the inspiration to it, and how did you get your, your wife and your child to follow you on that you know very stressful journey <laughs> from the east? Coast yeah, to the west? yeah, that was in 1983. I was in my 20s. My wife was in her 20s. We had a 15 month old baby. <laughs> we were living in uh, uh, Tacoma, Washington at the time, which is on the west coast of the United States, and we were going to move back to Pennsylvania, which is on the east coast of the United States. And and bicycling across the United States was just something I always wanted to do. I just saw it as a great adventure, and so. So uh, I mentioned it to my wife since we were living on the West Coast and moving back to the East Coast. I mentioned that I would like to try this and I would love for her to join me and we could take our son on the ride. And, and she agreed to it. And so uh, in 1983, we made that journey and I, I kept a journal you know, during the course of that bicycle trip of ours. And we were on the, we were on the bikes for over three months, over 4,000 miles, uh, a, a one man backpacking tent, two sleeping bags. And I kept the journal and, um, uh, that journal s- sat in a shoebox for 35 years. And then in, uh, in 2019, when I retired from the army, I decided to write a book about that trip. So the name of the book is the ride of our lives, lessons on life, leadership, and love. And that's available on Amazon. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a very inspiring book about this journey. And there's a lot of leadership lessons in it. And then I just, uh, finished writing a second book. Uh, the name of my second book is iron sharpened leadership. And that book is due out in June of this year, June of 2021. And that book is available for pre-orders on Amazon. So uh, I I encourage anybody uh, who wants to read about leadership, who wants to read about an adventure to to look at, uh, look into both of those books. Now, John, let's let's tell us a little bit about what you've been up to these days, apart from the book writing. I know you have the leaders group there coming in. How's it been like, you know, you know, retired and... Oh, it's been fantastic. Uh, One thing, um, the pandemic, I've been doing uh, a lot of virtual leadership presentations. So I've been doing some leadership presentations for some some very large companies and also for some uh, very small companies. But uh, it, it's just great to be able to use uh, many of the virtual platforms that we have out there like Zoom and, and WebEx and GoToMeeting and, and all these virtual platforms. It's a fantastic way to be able to communicate uh, to many people, uh, even though we can't get together on site face to face. I've been doing some uh, leadership training for a uh, law enforcement agency down in Florida. Uh, and, and that has actually been on site. I've actually been traveling down there to do that leadership training. I think it's very important to do leadership training for our law enforcement officers because they're under a lot of stress and leadership uh, uh, is extremely important in, in, in that line of work for, for sure. I've also uh, been working with a company where I'm developing web-based leadership training. 
So that that's going to be available from a company. Uh, the name of the company is Intellectual Point. So you could go to their website and look into some web-based leadership training that I'm putting together. It's going to be on their platform. And so all of these things are, are very important to me uh, because my purpose in life, well, first of all, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, I believe that anybody could be developed, become a stronger leader than they are today. And I believe my purpose in life is to use my operational leadership experience, the lessons that I've learned in my role as a leader for over 40 years, and help other people learn from the mistakes I made and 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 become stronger leaders. So that's my purpose in life. And uh, I do that by conducting leadership training, by speaking, by writing the book. And I'm just so happy to do so. I'm, I'm happy to be on on programs like yours uh, because I think you do a very valuable service to young people by uh, getting the message of strong leadership out to them, helping them learn how to be a better leader and and how to be success in their life. So really, thank thank you for what you do by by putting the program like this together. Wow, thank you so much also for also coming. Now, find my final question is a bit <laughs> of a funny one. The movies we watch about combat, you know, in American soldiers, you know, the Fantastic Five, the Five Seals, Commando, Rambo. Is it really true? Is that is that really what happens on the on the battlefield? <laughs> you know what happens on the battlefield is. Uh, our soldiers and Marines um, look out for one another. You know, there, there's a strong bond between, uh, you know, all of us who who uh, conduct our operations and and we we look out for one another. And I think I think that's what I love about the United States military. And I know you're in the, the Air Force in Ghana. I'm sure you feel the same way that it's all about your buddy to your left and your buddy to your right and, and looking out for your buddy. And uh, and in the military, whether it be in the military in the United States, the military in, in your country, we all have our, our values. So we're 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 connected by those values and we're con- connected by that bond of the mission that we do. And, 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 and that's what I love about it. it's that camaraderie and looking out for one another that that I so much enjoy about being in the military. It's all about the people. All right, John. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed, you know, speaking to you. Yeah. Thanks, Reginald. I enjoyed this myself. Thank you very much. Congratulations on completing today's episode. I hope you were inspired. Deciding to win is a call to action. Not for tomorrow, nor next year, but for today, for now. We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us on Instagram and on Facebook at Deciding to Win. Share this podcast with your friends and family. And if you are inclined, please leave us a 4 or 5 star rating. Remember, you will win if only you decide. Love you all.